Today I'm joined by Rob Brady, a very well-known person in the estate agency industry and letting agency industry, uh, presently working for the Lifecycle Group. Um, and he's here to tell me and you his journey of estate agency and letting agency. Thanks for joining me today, Rob. Welcome. I want to go back in time uh, to when you were a child. Uh, tell me a bit about your mum and dad. Uh, one of three, well, one of four boys. Um, traditional village, countryside setting. Where uh, that is? Uh, Wingham. So Which just is... outside Canterbury. Um, literally <laughs> four boys in the middle of nowhere, get out to mischief. Going out, setting fires to things. All yeah, sorts, this yeah. sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. What year were you born? 87. Oh, good stuff. So, yeah. Um, Happy childhood? Yeah, good, uh, good childhood. Um, I've done a lot of work in the last few years, so and to actually a lot of stuff which I have gone through my own healing journey has come back from my childhood. Nothing too bad, but just some of the stuff which actually quite interestingly you look back and you think, oh, that's why I am the way I am. So yeah, it's quite a... We'll come back to that self-awareness later in the chat. Yeah. Um, what did your dad teach you and what did your mum teach you as a child? Oh, I had some different learnings from my dad. My dad's learnings came a bit later in his journey. Um, having four boys, the stresses of having a financial burden of growing up with them and looking after that, us, us all boys what, and providing for What us. did your dad do and my, um, for a job? So my dad was a bank manager. Okay. Uh, my mum worked in sort of retail finance. Um, my dad used to actually set up, uh, he used to work for Woolwich Building Society, set up the open plan services they used to have. So he used to run all their mortgage services. Yes. Um, but he had a heart attack in his 40s due to the stresses of his job. And I remember seeing my dad in a whole different way. And then he, the biggest lesson he ever taught me was um, don't get so stressed in life that you end up dying just because of your career. So that was quite a big learning. And I was like mid, what, my teens. Uh, so that was the biggest thing I ever learned from my dad, not to take everything to the point where you have a heart attack. Um, and then for my mum, my mum, my mum taught taught me how to to be a more. Um, my mum taught me emotion as a man, and to hold it with strength. Taught me to cook, clean, wash, look after myself. Um, but I was always close to my mum in the form of very, very quite. Um, I've always been an emotional chap, and she she's given me the strength to to pursue that and be that person. And also, like, she, I mean, she did a marathon only two, three years ago at the age of 65. So my determination and who I am and my spirit has come definitely from my mum. I know your mum's not very well at the moment, but she's getting, but she's getting better. I know you are close to your mum. Have you still got your dad with you? Yeah, my dad's still, yeah, yeah. He's, um, they've, they've split. They split in their, their late teens, when I was in my late teens. Um, so he's remarried. How did you cope with that? I'll tell you this very interesting story on this one. If someone ever asks you, like, what's the most stressful house show you've done? We were selling my mum and dad's house while so divorcing. My mum had already left. Uh, we were in the 2007-2008 crisis. I thought I'd just uh, done pretty well out of that and uh, got my dad's, dad's house on a listing. Um, I'd actually taken it off Regal before I even joined them. I was working at Connells at the time. I thought, yes, I got our listing off the, 
remember walking in there, getting the keys. Later, did I realise that I was actually going to be working them a few years later. And trying to help my dad sell the home whilst fully knowing that house prices were going down and also the financial commitment towards it. Um, that was a that was a very interesting time during their split, trying to educate <laughs> someone that, you know, you need to drop your house price by about 25 grand so we catch the curves that when by the time you exchange, we're not, we're not, whilst everyone else was dipping, we're, we're, we're getting rid of the money. So, um, interesting one. Your first job was with the Woolwich. Hmm. Is that because your dad worked there? Or you just wanted to be going to banking and thought you'd follow in his footsteps? Um, I was a bit, a bit like a state agency. I was a bit lost with what I wanted to do. Um, I was doing a couple of jobs here and there. And then my dad said to me, why don't you come work in banking? So I took the job in a different branch to him. So you, you left school at 16. You didn't do your A-levels. I started doing my A-levels. For me, realised this, it was too, con too constrained. I was at grammar school. And the stuff I wanted to learn was not your traditional grammar school learning. So halfway through it, I thought, I could come out of this and go to university, but I'm not really interested in any of the topics there. So I just thought, okay, I'm just going to quit there and start working. Um, so I jumped into banking. What did your parents think when you were quitting your A-levels? My mum and dad have always taught us to be free-spirited. They've always been taught us to be, explore be explorers. So they've never, as a child, we never had any of the, you must do this and you must do that which I think crafted us to be in such different careers. So you went to work for the Woolwich for a couple of years. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I did. I was actually a relief cashier. Oh, I, I used to cashier for that when I was bank manager. I loved it. Yeah, so I did about I had about eight different branches I'd go to and just jump in when there was sickness and stuff like that. Um, and then I landed a position at, in Faversham as a personal banker. And even I ended up running that branch because the two the managers of it had another office, uh, branch they're looking after. So they needed someone in there. So I was like, at the age of like 19, 20, I think probably at that age, I was effectively running it as a secondary to them. And I took that, I mean, out of their branches, I remember taking it from like seventh bot to sixth top in about a year doing all the personal banking. And obviously Faversham is quite a, a town of like, you must be known. And if you're not known, you're, who the hell are you? So um, that was an enjoyable experience doing that. Um, what did you What did you learn? Learn the relationship building, like, and the connectivity you can have with that. You have one person in, and in those days, obviously Barclays were taking over Woolwich. So they were trying to get you to, you must do sell credit cards and you must sell this and the stuff everyone obviously got into trouble with. And I was a bit like, no, that's not, I, am, I, don't, I don't know this person, I'm going to sit down and chat to them, they need a credit card before you start telling them I need to sell them one. Um, but off the back of helping people, then you'd have like, you know, there's an older town, so like Barbara would see Dorothy and Dorothy would come in and go, I've got 50 grand to invest into here. Uh, she told me you could do this. Yeah, because Barbara said, because trust is transfer. Yeah, exactly. Well, so that's what I learned that. Why did you then become an estate agent? I stepped out of banking because I met through a friend's dad who had this job career thingy and he said, come work for me. It's the best thing ever. I like you do. Took that green grass route and realised he was a knob and I didn't want to work there anymore. Um, so then I thought, what else to do in there? My dad knew someone that worked at Regal or, or no, Connells at the time and said, like, do you want to go and join Connells? And uh, I thought, I like houses. 
We all like houses. Yeah. Like to watch them on the telly, don't but we? But then at the same time, I remember, I remember my mum and dad years before, I remember my mum and dad trying to sell their, they had another house they tried to sell and they had like six estate homes. And I remember even just looking at, observing the photos they'd taken and, and all the bits and pieces and trying to help get that house sold. And obviously later down the line, actually selling my mum and dad's house. Um, so I knew I had an interest and that came a bit of an obsession as well. You were there for 14, 15 months. You left in 08 went back to banking yeah and if you don't mind me saying i've looked at your cv you do have a habit of going back to the old job quite often <laughs> more of that later yeah why did you go why did you leave i mean okay back end of 08 height of the credit crunch was, <laughs> yeah. is it basically let's go back into banking now why the banks are crashing so basically i was uh, I'd gone from the Canterbury office in Connells and gone to Maidstone and I was, I was working in Maidstone doing all their repos and stuff. And obviously Maidstone's quite a big town, a lot going on there. There's a massive amount of repos happening. And the uh, Barclays sort of Woolwich uh, main area office was in Maidstone. So I was in there just doing some banking as you do and I saw my old area manager. And he said, oh, Rob, how are you getting on? Just started chatting to him. He said, come back, come back. It'd be great to have you on board. I'd obviously stepped back into it, but that was really under Barclays at the time. The village had obviously been dissolved by then. So I went back into it and just, again, thought I knew that job. And obviously by then, like, I'd learnt my craft in the state and see, I'd been for the most toughest period you probably have, like, going into it. I'd literally jumped into the fire and put, poured petrol over me and carried on trying to drive it through with, obviously, what would happen in the housing market. Um, but equally at the same time, um, working for a corporate, just, I just I did, didn't agree with the corporate values and I was just learning my own journey of what type of employer I wanted to work for. So you lasted only a few months there and then went to work for a steel firm? Yeah, I got basically made redundant to some extent. AKA they said, right, here's your target, we're going to increase your target by 2000% and then that's your new target and oh, you haven't hit that. So I thought, and I just didn't agree with corporate banking by then, like they're, they're got rid of the Woolwich way. I'd gone back into it and it was the Barclays way. I was having a lot of conflict with people because I'm a bit of a maverick. And they were really? saying- I'd spotted that one. They were basically saying, again, like you've got to sell 17 credit cards today. And I'm like, I'm seeing this guy who's got loads of debt. I'm not going to sell him another credit card. It's not morally right. So I just couldn't fulfill the targets they want to hit because both of the targets were based around how much money you can get out of people rather than helping people. Mm. So, when I left there, there was not really many jobs because we were in that yeah. dip. Um, so when I went for a steel firm, did their blue chip companies, I was all about steel, um, <laughs> which is an interesting one. But in that period of time, the biggest thing I, ever, I got taught by my dad was just get out and do some jobs. So although I was there, I'd done a load of other bits and pieces just to get my income coming. And I'd done apple packing and done factory work, worked on P&O ferries. The steel firm was obviously a part of that. So I just, I'm a grafter. I mean, if you, um, if you listen to Gary Vaynerchuk, he says, go out and taste different things. And, yeah. you know, if, you'd have, if, you, if that was on a CV, to, if we were talking 20 years ago and you'd have flitted from job to job, then people have said, no, that doesn't look good. But nowadays it's not an issue, is it? Yeah. As long as you're learning. Yeah. The graft a bit, did that come from your dad then? Uh, yeah, the hard work of um, working, yeah. Then you went to work for Regal Estates and you were there for... Eight years, 11 months, mate, that's an old time for you. Yeah. Why did you go and work for Regal? So... Which did you know Regal is Lager spelled uh, that? Well, 
the, the actual story of Regal actually how they formed was they all sat down drinking a pint of lager and then they realised it's backwards as Regal. No! That's the truth. It's there you go! You asked ask Mark. <laughs> um, so my dad knew someone that he had worked in. My dad used to work in a stadency years and years and years ago. And he remembered this uh, young chap coming in out of the army and sort of helped him. My dad was in the financial side to it all. And then he was working at Regal at the time. So dad said, like, have you got any jobs going? Uh, my son's done a bit of background in it. And um, that was a really inter weird interview process. I've gone into them, like with any traditional stability office, it all looked like the front was all the way they were. And then I got interviewed in this back office. Let me guess, files everywhere. Files everywhere. Coffee there, was a, there was a leopard print cowboy hat, all sorts <laughs> of random shit in there. And I thought, how is this outfit? But um, I got interviewed by the, one of the owners at the time. He asked me some particular questions. And then it was just a bit of a weird one, said that I needed to shave for an interview because he was from a corporate background. And then I just got into that job and stayed in it for quite some time. Sale, you, were you sales and lettings at the time or? Sales. Sales. Yeah. And then, like I am, I always looked and I thought. Because you, you spent eight years there. You went from neg to manager to director. How, what did you learn on that transition up? Because good negs don't necessarily make good managers, do they? No, I mean, I always seek greater improvement and change, whether it's 1% or 2% or 5% or 10%. That's always been there? Yeah, it's always been there. So I always look at things of how can we improve it. So even as a negotiator... Why do you want to do that? Um, because I think greatness is within all of us, and I think greatness can be better in business if people just learn... learn, learn leaned into change a bit more okay but why you why, why where's this fire come from i don't know i don't know have your brothers got this oh yeah my brother's got it as well because i know, i've never met him but i know you, you you've got a brother that runs quite an important pub food foodie place mm. photos look amazing yeah i think it's whether it's because a mum and dad just allowed us to be explorers and we weren't put in boxes that we could learn just to, we just, we never, I never, I never, I, I mean, I've got an ADHD brain. So like, I, I overthink, I've learned my craft, how to craft is, it. Is that self-diagnosed or have you, you've got? Um, I'm not going to go down the route of the expense of having that. Like, but you know. Because I know it. And my partner, Kel, who's in special needs and trained to be a counsellor and all sorts of stuff, actually diagnosed me when I met her, even before she'd actually met her face to face. She said to me, no offence, Rob, but I'm, I'm learnt, I've done a lot in ADHD stuff and you can probably get a diagnosis, but do you know you've probably got ADHD? It's interesting. You, you'll come across Jonathan Hanford. Mm. Um, his, his, his son has ADHD and he says that he, and they say it's, a lot of it can be hereditary. Massively. Um, but he uses it as a skill. Massively. Superpower. And let's be honest... Most estate agents are on, on in terms of the, the way they act. They're very people orientated as opposed to process orientated, mm. um, which means they use their people skills to try and persuade people to do something, hence why they're good on sofas. But when you have that people skills, but also you have the, the as you say, the superpower of ADHD, obviously applied in a particular way, mm. you also get the benefit of systems and doing things right. I know you don't actually say you're process driven, but that's what my understanding is. Mm. What does it exactly give to you? Because um, you obviously have the people skills. So I'll give you, this is 
quite interesting. So I only realised I had that only a couple of years ago when I met Cal. So before that, I was very conflicted because I didn't understand it. So I would come out and blurt stuff out. I'd interrupt people. I would go off on these uh, hyper-focused routes. So obviously to a lot of people, I'd have been disruptive. Now I've learned what I've got. I can learn it and crafted it. So now I know what I call it my ADHD brain. So oh, my ADHD brain's out today and it's on one. And that's whether, because I've, I know, I've done particular things that all of a sudden, like, you know, my, my okay. level's going a bit intense, etc. So it's allowed me to... Is it in the conscious side or the subconscious side? It was in the subconscious side that I brought to consciously through my own... So, you, you've got, so you bring it, so basically you've got, you've got to open the conduit between the two yeah. and it comes out. Yeah. Can you mentally go in and open it? Yeah, yeah. And that's through flow. And what's that? Uh, flow is when you get yourself into a state of, um, yeah, when you drive somewhere and you're on autopilot, that's effectively flow in its very, very basic format. A lot of peak performance people use it, that they can break boundaries beyond your capability of your thinking. Um, so I use parts of flow to get myself into a hyper-focused state to then allow me to do excel on projects, which some people might be really... That's the reason why I can manage my clients. In the, in the, I've got multiple different clients, multiple different strategies, and multiple different things, but my ADHD brain helps to work out strategically how to manage it all. You wouldn't be able to do that if it was purely all in the conscious brain. Yeah. So by, by using your skill and the flow and bringing the conscious and the subconscious together, because I've been told the analogy is your conscious brain is nine foot square and your subconscious is nine acres. Mm. If you can bring the, bridge the two together, or as you say, using the flow method, can people learn this themselves? Yeah, they can learn flow. It comes a lot with self-awareness and it comes with a lot of working on yourself and also like going deeper inside you. So I, I knew I had ADHD because of a route that I'd gone down for quite a few years of like healing and self-learning. And then I then looked back and thought, wow, that's why I acted the same way I did. So in that way, then you learn how to craft, control some of your elements of that to really focus on it. So I realized, you know, I jumped from different thing to different thing to different thing, different thing. Now I know that's because it's an ADHD trait. Now I started to go, no, I shouldn't be jumping onto that. So I have in my, on my iPad, I have a thing called um, Ideas to Dump. So every time I think of something stupid or something, an idea that's going in my head, I dump it in there and look back a week later and go, what was I thinking there? Yeah, but there must be some gold in there. And then, yeah, if it, I think, then I think if it is still valid and a month later, I'll come back to it as well. So it allows me to focus on it. Otherwise, I'll be doing 25,000 things in one go. And not finishing anything. Yeah. Which quite often is what an ADHD <laughs> person never, never starts things, but never finishes it. Coming back to the self-awareness, um, did you, at the time see yourself staying at Regal, you know, almost forever? I did, I did for periods. I'd, I'd done, so when I joined there, I saw there was a lot we could do within the brand and the company, and they were a bit lost. So at the negotiator level, I was doing small bits, small improvements. Let's increase our, our doing our photography. And you're thinking this is, you know, 10, 10 years ago, 12, 11 years ago. Let's improve our photography. Let's think about floor plans. How? What, what's our website look like? Let's look at our office. But obviously to a lot of people, that was, might be in a bit of disruptive nature. And then um, a few years into the job, um, there was things happening within the letting side of the business that there was a part change of 
leadership and that element to it. So they were, I was about to, thought, oh, I need to take a bit more grace in this. And they said, before you go, this is happening. So if you think you know what you're doing, why don't you come a lettings manager overnight from the sales side? But how many times does that happen in a agency, doesn't it? So literally overnight, I came a lettings manager. No lettings experience. Yeah, but and normally that's a recipe for disaster when you let an estate agent loose in the... Yeah. It's like letting the fox loose in the ken hoop, hen hoop, ken yeah. coop, hen coop. But it was like a big challenge. He did really well there though, mate. Yeah, 300 to 750 in two and a half years. Undermanaged. And what do you put that down to? The bit... So what I did was... I always saw that when someone buys, when you market an Audi or a car, they don't market an Audi if you're going to buy it cash or you're going to do it lease or you're going to do it whatever payment plan. It's the same marketing. So in that period of time, lettings was always seen as like the poorer cousin. People didn't really care about putting pictures on properly and stuff like that. So I thought I'm going to take all our learning in the agency and how to market houses and put it into the letting side. And then I'm just going to start to look at every single client that we've got and see what we can develop strategy-wise with them. And at the time, obviously, there was a, a big war between existing leadership trying to take our existing clients and pulling them over to them. So we had that, and that was a big driving factor to being like, no, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to show my worth here. And that was a brilliant, brilliant period of time because, you know, absolutely annihilated the market. Your partner at the time, Charlotte, worked for the firm as well at the same time. How were you able to, because uh, let's be honest, it's not as if it was your own business. How were you able to compartmentalize working with your partner in the business? That was a learning in itself. Um, because the first six months to a year, it was, you know. Were you Charlotte's boss? No, no, we were split 50-50 okay. within, within the letting side before I ended up taking over the sales side to it a few years later. But in those first few years, we were split Initially, we were split with one other person, but she, we soon realised that she was hiding away in a corner, pretending to do a lot of work that wasn't doing a lot of work. And we were like, you need to step away from this and go and do whatever you need to do. So we, we were a partnership within that. Um, but it was seven, seven o'clock in the morning to 11 o'clock at night. Every night it was in our company and we drove that every single day for quite some time until burnout started to happen a little bit. We went on a break and we said, look, we need to make sure we have work time and my time. I think still in that process, I still didn't know my ADHD brain at the time. So I was always switched on with work time where she'd have a bit more downtime. But we just knew I knew not to maybe talk to her about it and talk to other people about it. And that was a big learning for me. You went through a, a pretty rough patch in 2018 where unfortunately Charlotte's mum uh, committed suicide how did that affect your work and life balance um it was very tough personally we'd we'd uh, gone through we'd, i just proposed to her uh so just being as honest as possible in this um i proposed to her we had just won the estas award first time ever despite not being um not whether i people thinking that we wouldn't even be able to do it managed to go there and absolutely you know win it and that was a big high for us and obviously a few months later that happening i decided to change um from cfp to dupix at the time because cfp was being discounted out and then at the same time exiting 150 student properties out of the summer period so it was a tornado at the time um but it was 
it was very tough because you're having to balance between your personal life, your work life, supporting each side of it, multiple different hats. Everyone wanted a bit of their clout from that. We had clients who were unhappy at the time because of obviously we had some staff that weren't, couldn't deal with the pressure naturally with all of it. Um, uh, so it was a really challenging period of time. It sounded like the perfect storm. Massively, yeah. And I learned a lot within that. Um, a lot of anger driven from that. Um, taken on a lot of stress. Massive burnout. A challenging period. What would you do differently? And again, you know, the scenario is going to be different for everyone, but let's just say the shit hits the fan. That's a technical term. Mm. What would you have done differently so the people watching this or listening to this can learn from that? I'd have gone and seen a counsellor earlier, sooner rather than later. Do you think a lot could be said when you do share your fears and frustrations? And... 100%. Hence why I do it openly now and I don't really care what people think and whether some people, because some people, the biggest people I've learned are people who are struggling sometimes with mental health and are the ones that are usually the aggressive ones because they're in defence mode. Yes. Um, so they usually take the frustrations out thinking, you know, they're looking in the mirror really, but they don't want to look in that mirror yet. Can you, can you see that, not mentioning names in the industry, but can you see people who are angry, if you would say, it is a defence mode? Yeah, 100%, because... Unless you're at um, a, a well-being balance and you're content with life, and you've, even if you've got any conflict, I mean, healthy conflict is still good conflict, but um, sort of like any conflict of a healthy nature is good. But um, if people are in, I always look at it with the, in their shoes of empathy, saying like, why are they way, why are they way they are? And they might not even know them now. They might have, something might have happened in their childhood. They still haven't yeah. worked out and discovered and uncovered and sorted out. So. My wife takes the piss out of me because, you know, when someone cuts you up, I just say, well, she's probably just having a bad day. Mm. And now she's, you know, it's true. Man. So I do see a lot. I see a lot. And it's quite interesting um, having opened up a lot. I have a lot of private chats with people, some good and some bad. Good ones are the people who said, like, I really expect your honesty. It's really helped me out. Some of the stuff I've used it. Other people have, uh, it's quite interesting, people who have got quite, unresolved depression or extreme sort of well mental well-being tend to come in a defensive mode so i've had a few people messaging me saying like why do you even put this up and all sorts of stuff like that that's been a, quite an interesting journey with me what people are actually not mentioning names are actually challenging you for talking about mental health and well-being yeah wow but usually it's because their own struggles so they're projecting yeah which i've learned over years you left Regal in the summer of 2019 and joined Iceberg. Mm. Now, <laughs> you went back to Regal and then now you're back at Iceberg. So go through with me with the process of A, why you joined Iceberg, why you went to Regal and then why you went back. So... At the very Estes Awards, I sat on a table and we've got a picture of me, you and Mark. Yes. Yeah. So I'd just read Mark's first book and I've yes. got two more copies and I was going through that transition of understanding marketing in a whole different way to what most people have thought. Mm -hmm. And so I sat next to Mark and I thought, it's my Mark Burgess. And I thought, oh, I recognise his name. So I wrote, read this book and I said, well, that sounds a bit weird, but I'm sat next to you. I'm not a stalker, but I've actually bought three copies of your book. And him and I got chatting. He saw me win the award. I'd been nominated for the People's Award that year. 
Um, so we had a really good afternoon of me and him just chatting and even Hayley was there and she's thinking like you two, she knew straight away. Um, so I came a client of Icebergs on the Regal and that was when the, the early stages, even before Lifecycle was even known as Lifecycle, we were, I was involved with the mini projects with a couple of agents. We called it the Iceberg Illuminati, where Mark used to get a few agents in the room saying like, what do you get frustrated with your current CRM and your CR software and your marketing softwares, etc." And so Mark and I used to be up quite regularly. Yeah. Um, and that, that relationship grew because I could see what he was doing. I could see the passion. Um, we aligned with who we were and what he wanted to do. And then he had this job come up and I remember coming back from one night thinking, the job up and I said, Oh, I really should. Oh, I'd love to come work for you. And he said, Why don't you? And then I knew there was a point where I'd done a lot of stuff in my time at Regal, but also like other stuff outside of that. I'd chaired a networking group, I'd got into marketing, I'd done a board of directors, all stuff that I used to do for free. And people used to think, Why did you do that? And I've learned loads about business and people and just different ways of thinking. And I knew that moment was a deciding factor if I didn't take that opportunity and step out of my own fear because I needed something greater than what I was doing. Were you getting a bit bored at the time? With that? I was getting frustrated. Okay, not frustrated. Because what did Charlotte say about you moving? Um, your divorce and our, our, our business relationship. Yes, but you weren't married. You were, I know you were engaged at the time. <laughs> yeah. She took it personally. Um, I think there was a, obviously been it for quite some time and I was taking, I wanted to take my, my life to an, and career to the next level. And obviously at that time, um, I was driving to Essex every day and back from Kent. So it was a five, six hour journey every day. So it took a toll doing it every single day. Got through loads of audio books and podcasts and all sorts of stuff. So that was you going up to, yeah, it was you. So you left, she said she wasn't particularly happy, but accepted it because that's what partners do. But this is before Zoom and things. Mm. Six hours driving every day is going to take a toll on you. Massively. Was there a, was it was it such a toll that you decided to go back to Regal? Uh, no, because COVID hit, and then we just launched Lifecycle that period of time as well. Yeah. So, um, I'd gone from working in sales in Iceberg as an innovationist, and then I'd gone into now we had the platform available, and we were in COVID, and a lot of agents were struggling. I thought, I just teach people a load of concepts and stuff that I'd be running it if I was back in agency. So I was really enjoying that part. I had loads of clients across the country. Mm -hmm. uh, there was periods of time when they couldn't do any transactions. So we were building up data and getting yeah. our strategies ready for that wave to hit out. And I really loved doing that. I was given free reign by Mark and Haley just to say, just get on and just help our clients. Um, and some of the conversations I was having in those periods of time were even just more than just life cycle thing. It was more... Did, did you almost say, like, you know, the, and, you know, I've gone on camera to say it, I, I'm a huge, massive fan of Lifecycle. Mm. Uh, it was always a case of, this is so good that I actually want to adopt it myself. I wanted to use it myself because I was thinking, oh, run this with me. I could, this is so good. But at the time, obviously, Regal were um, needing support. Charlotte was needing support. Um, Obviously, I was working at home with her, so we were, rekindled that whole part of the relationship with that. And I thought, like a white knot, I'd come back and help him and use life cycle and all that sort of side to it. 
Uh, and that's why when we started to open up, I had those conversations and going back there. And it was a big shock to Mark and Haley. And they said at the time, you sure you want to do this? Um, because why have you done it? Are you doing it with your heart or your, or your head? Because um, I've got massive respect for the way for them. Ooh. They helped me craft who I am today. Especially Mark and like Haley, they're probably the two most influential people I've had in my life today. Yeah, Haley's one of those people that doesn't say much, but when she does, you listen. Yeah, she doesn't take shit, but she's got a very, very warm. So mm. she's very direct, but she comes from a pure place of love. Yeah. So having that at the essence of our business. Yes, because if it was just Mark, it would be a car crash. Would it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll be we'll be trying to build a rocket to go and try and complete real Musk right now. <laughs> Bless him. And um, so you walk through back through the door. Yeah, knight, knight in shining armor. Didn't happen that way, though, did it? No. What happened? Um, I realised I was back in the constraints of why I left. I how how soon did it? Wait, how soon did you realise that? Within a couple of months. They ended up, we ended up, I ended up, mine and Charlotte's relationship splitting up. Business, I'd thought, at that point, there was obviously conflict because I was still working in a place that we were supposed to be together and all that was happening. Obviously not going into too much personal detail about it. Um, so I realised, like, I've been made a big mistake here. This is not, like, I can't, don't need to be here. And it just wasn't the right environment for me. What did uh, Mark, your boss of Regal, say to you? Um, he was quite I'd gone back as a lettings director rather than what I was in my old position so when I decided to resign he said oh, I was going to give you the whole thing again and I thought well if you're going to do that you would have done it in the first place so I was I was being capped and restricted and I couldn't I couldn't I just I knew by then I'd learnt so much from Mark, from Iceberg and Haley, and I'd been in those different environments. I thought, no, I'm not going to waste my life anymore. I've had too many death traumas in my life to think I'm not going to be one of those people sat in a job hating it. So do, I thought, do I go the route of setting up my own? But at the time, obviously, I, cash flow was a bit difficult because of like you know going. Okay. Did you leave with Mark's blessing? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Yeah. What, I mean, what did Mark teach you? In all those years? Um, Mark taught me... Because I know you think the world of him. Yeah, he, he taught me... He's, got, he's always had an entrepreneurial spirit, so he's taught me that part to it, I think, the most. So I was a bit... I was a bit... Knew I needed to go. I knew I was in the right place. So I messaged, I messaged Mark and said, like, just to let you know I'm going to be leaving... Regal again, and he went so soon. And then he messaged me, said, "I spoke to Haley. When you come back?" So when I saw him, we sat down, and I said to him, "He said, what do you want to do?'" I said, "I realised after all these years, I don't want to work in sales anymore. It's not for me. I want to help people. I want to live a life now with a purpose of helping people inside out, outside of work." He said, "So what does that look like?" I said. We haven't got a coaching department. Let's set up a coaching department. Um, let me learn all the stuff I was learning whilst we were in lockdown with our clients and the strategies I'd had. But let me do it properly. So what you're telling me is, is that as an estate agency supplier, 
both you and Mark and Haley realised, and I think I wish more firms were, were, were like this, um, it's all very good having these great systems, but if you don't implement them, A, implement them and B, follow through, then nothing happens. Because that's a big criticism of, of, of estate agency supplies, isn't it? Yeah. Your, it's your job to ensure, because let's be honest, it's not cheap. Mm. It certainly isn't cheap. Cheaper, it's cheaper than a crap, half price of a crap member staff currently. Aren't yes, it? I know. Don't worry, you don't need to sell it to me. <laughs> but okay. but it, it's, um, you've got to implement it. And I know, I know a number of agents who have took and, taken on Lifecycle and said it's a pile of pants. And then when you actually look under the bonnet, they've not done anything with it. Yeah. So, um, like with any estate agent who decide to set up on their own because they're frustrated by either company or like any rival comes along becomes a rival. My frustrations have come off the back of dealing with prop tech suppliers or CRM suppliers, taking CRMs that they promise you and you think it's just the same thing or taking marketing systems that we well know marketing systems as well, dealing with them and dealing with the support of that side to it. Um, so when I went back, it was more around the stuff that I learned within COVID lockdown on what actually for the first time there was a different system out there that actually could do something completely different to your CRM and that was obviously at the time before we released the CRM side to it um, so I was using the excitement of my own brain and my own learnings from as an estate agent and also then training to be qualified I went originally started qualified to be a counsellor so I started to go down that route, which then led me to person-centric counselling, which then led me into qualifying for coaching, which I started to really love. So the coach part to it is, you're the expert, I'm here to just unlock it. So do you love going around estate agents? I love, I love different clients because you see the journeys that they go on. So we have training. We have an amazing trainer, Brad. Brad Roby, which is like an alias to Rob Brady. Um, and we have a customer experience department. We have great training elements to that. So that helps you with like the the what, how to do this, and what how and to how? push a button, how to book a market appraisal. Is your stuff the more the why? Mine's the why, and that can be quite challenging for a lot of clients because they've never done that, and I would challenge them on it. So like, do you do content? No. Why don't you do content? I haven't got time. Okay. So how are we going to increase this? Because you say you want to do content. So what are you going to do about it? But that's the whole thing about life cycle is you need damn good content to nurture and through. Content, you need to lead generation, you need to understand how to work your data, all sorts of stuff in it. But it, do you see do you see lots of estate agents almost buying this almost like a plug and play and think it is a white knight sort of because you have to work uh, at it. In the, I'd say in the, in our old system, we but we we've got such a way that we bring people in that we don't just take anyone on now. And that's not an arrogance thing to be a part of. It's just like you waste your money and we waste, you waste up like, and you end up wasting your money. You end up paying us. But then almost they need to not prove that they want it, but pr actually show that they are going to go through the hoops. As you said, there's yeah. no point in getting someone who's going to leave and then bad mouth you. Well, it's the fact of like, what are you trying to change? Like if you want to stay, I, I want to change, but I, I want everything to stay the same. It's never going to happen. We all know that. Like you can't, you can't remain the same and expect change. It's the simple fact of it. So why, when we go down our route is making sure that we have an agent that's set up for different ways of thinking and changing and different ways of working and leaning into that. Otherwise, if they come along and go, no, I want to work in the same way as I did before, 
and they won't be utilising the capacity of it. And it's not like an old CRM because it's not no. like. And if it if you took it and you worked the same way and it and without doing that, then what's the point of buying something that's more expensive? It's like buying a Lamborghini, but only using it as a yeah as a supermarket. Going to your supermarket and getting your little bits and pieces. Yeah, interesting, interesting. What's the future for upgrading? You're 36 years old. What's the future? Um, I'm currently doing my masters in coaching and mentorship around leadership and implementing coaching and mentoring within workplace environments. Um, I'm leaning now more into mental well-being for performance-based relationship as well. Uh, so um, there's going to be a massive part around how you can create a culture of mental, I would say brain health more than anything else, brain health rather than mental health, uh, to unlock the true potential of your teams. So that's something that I'm really, really learning too. Um, I'm only a, a, come up to a year of being a dad to twins, so fathers. Well done on your podcast. With, Thank you, mate. I think you met Kelly online, didn't you? And, yeah. And she self-diagnosed you. Diagnosed me. She had gone a whole through had a whole journey of herself. She's amazing. She, she's trained to be a, a special needs child counsellor. She works in the spectrum with special needs children. So she, she has me at home to, <laughs> to, to work with on that one. What's Kelly brought to you? A humongous amount. She brought me my soul. Yeah. She, brought, she ignited me in different ways than um, someone I've never met before. She's a phenomenal human being. And how are the kids now? Just literally a, a year and a couple of weeks' time. And the podcast? Podcast is uh, episode four, 15 we did. Once a week. And how many have you done, how many have you done so far? 15 episodes. 15? Yeah. If you get to 21, you're in the top top 1%. We're, we're top 100 parenting podcasts. So no, far. I'm talking about I'm in like, terms of the world, in terms yeah, of numbers. So you're, yeah. do, you're doing well. Why do you enjoy doing that? It goes back to our shared values with Kel. Um, is her shared value is helping other people and, and making, I always said, I always said this phrase, you can have all the money in the bank, but the wealth of who you are is the people that turn up to your funeral when you die oh. and you won't ever see that. So why don't you create a legacy for that? Mm. And she's of the same mindset. So when we set up the, the collaboration twins podcast, it was all based around as parents of twins. There's not much information. It's either singular information and they just go double it. And it's definitely not, how to hold one baby, especially when like things like breastfeeding and all sorts of stuff that Kel had, I learned herself. But the second part was anything based around twins was just horror stories. So as new parents and new parents are twins, we were just stuck in this random bit. So as we started to go down the journey and learning okay. Kel's, Kel's 10 years of being in, uh, dealing with children and, and her environments, so why don't we just set something up that helps other twin parents out there? So pretty much every week we now get regular messages from people going, I've come across your podcast. Mm -hmm. Do you know what? It's just a nice perspective to have a positive but honest perspective on what's actually okay. happening. Well, I wish you I wish you well on the podcast. Um, good luck with parenting. Uh, good luck with Iceberg. And um, thank you for your time today. Cheers, buddy.